I don't know of a more pertinent theme for the church today than the subject of learning how to stand firm in our faith. Learning how to stand firm in our faith. And some of you listening by way of the internet and some, uh, some of us, uh, of course, who are dialed in right here in the audience here at Lakeview are investigating what faith in God is really about. You're not really sure what to make of it. You've heard about it. Uh, you've, you've been curious. Perhaps uh, you felt needful and like you could use some help in your life from time to time and really not sure uh, how all of this spirituality thing works and what God is really like and what you can count on and what he has to offer and what church is all about. And some people have had good and not so good experiences in churches in the past. If it's a bad experience, I'm sorry. If it's a good experience and you're praising the Lord, you can be strong for somebody else. But so keeping, keep investigating faith. If you're here wondering about it, keep investigating faith in God until you find it. And you'll be glad that you did. But the message this morning from Philippians is to those of us who have found faith in God. And we are a part of what the scripture calls God's spiritual family. In the New Testament, that's really called the church of Jesus Christ. The the, the Bible says the church of Jesus Christ is really the bride of Christ. It's he has a love for, for the church like a husband should have a love for his bride. And the Bible calls this family, as I said, the church, but it's literally located all around the globe. It's, it's everywhere. It's not in some places that we would like it to be yet, but it literally is everywhere all around the globe. This huge global community of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ called the church. And I'm really so thankful to be a part of it this morning. Aren't you? Say amen. I'm thankful to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. All right, here we go. Read with me uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're only going to look at one verse this morning, so that shouldn't be too tedious. And uh, we're reading from the New American Standard Bible. Therefore, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Philippi. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. She calls them beloved twice. I guess that makes them pretty special. So uh, that's the verse for this morning that we're going to hover over. It's been about 10 years, likely, as near as we can tell, since Paul had uh, started that church in Philippi, in the in the uh, region called Macedonia. And it's probably been, as near as we can tell, about five years since he has been able to visit some of these folks. Uh, we had, Cynthia and I had occasion to um, help celebrate my mother's 87th birthday. And so we ran to uh, central Ohio for a couple of days to do that. And on the way out, we were able to stop by her older sister's family. And uh, uh, two of, uh, two of uh, her, her sister's uh, daughter's daughter has two, of, two sons, is what I'm trying to say. And we hadn't seen one of the sons uh, for really quite some time. And my goodness, how he had changed. He's shot up. He's over six feet tall. 
He's got a deeper voice now, and he's carrying himself with a certain amount of uh, dignity, and he's got a little swagger to him, and it just, and it was really, really special to be able to see him after all of this time. Well, you can imagine, Paul is writing from prison in Rome, and he's missing these folks. He started this church, and it's been five years probably since he's seen any of them, and he's just longing uh, to see them. Then he says in this verse, he said, they're, they're, my, they're my brothers. He said, we, meaning, we have the same citizenship. And we studied this already, but to just review that, that citizenship is, if you're saved this morning, your citizenship is, is beyond being a citizen of the United States or whatever country it may be. We're really citizens of where? Heaven. We are citizens of heaven temporarily on assignment here, not very long in terms of God's timetable. Maybe seems long to us, but it's not long to him. And then we will be withdrawn from this assignment and to be with him forever. So our citizenship as believers in Jesus Christ is that we belong to heaven. And so he reminds him, he says, therefore, you people that I love, mm, I love you so much. And I long to see you. It's been five years or more. And, and you are my joy. He said, it's, you know, this is beyond happiness. It doesn't just make me happy to see you. It brings me tremendous joy to, to be near you, to be around you again, to have fellowship with you again. I just, I can hardly wait till we can do that again. And then he calls them his crown. Now, Mark led us in a wonderful song this morning that talked about we lay our crowns before him. He said, "You," Paul says, the, the Philippian church are a crown to him. Now, in the Greek, that's a, there's a military term there. In the Greek, that word uh, has to do with uh, not authority as an emperor would have, as a ruler or as a dictator who wears a crown and tells us what to do and makes all the rules and regulations, and if we don't obey, we're in trouble. It's not that. This is the athlete's crown. This is the crown of one who has run the race hard, pressed hard toward the finish line, and crosses that line and is a winner and is being rewarded with this wreath, this crown of uh, honor. It's literally like winning a, a, the, the blue ribbon or a first prize trophy. He's saying, that, that, you are, you are that to me. You, you represent tremendous joy and gladness and a sense of accomplishment after lots of hard work and labor and praying and being in prison and being beaten and all these kinds of things. Uh, that's, that's what you mean to me. And so he says, considering those things, he says, in this way, stand firm. So their love for Jesus and his church brings him satisfaction beyond happiness, on to joy. And their love for Jesus and his church are seen as a reward from God for his labor of love, for Paul's labor of love. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the word for crown is Stephanos, and uh, it's that crown of the winner uh, of the race, so to speak. 
So a, a Greek scholar has kind of summarized it this way, and I'll just give you the quote. Uh, I love how he says this. Therefore, bearing these things in mind, living as citizens of a heavenly commonwealth, and having a hope, and remember we studied that was an eager, eager hope. Remember that last week where I talked about the pizza coming out of the oven? We're all hungry. We can hardly wait for it to come out. I, you know, it's just the kind I like. It's got pepperoni and onions and, oh, you know, I hate onions. Okay, obviously. Having a hope of a coming Savior, the Philippians are exhorted, that means encouraged, to stand fast in the Lord. Standing firm. Standing fast. It's that military term which means standing in one place. It's like those guards that, how many have been at, uh, in England and at the palace and you've seen the guards standing there and you kind of, people come up and tease them, you know, and they're standing at attention, whatever. They're not supposed to smile, not to laugh, not to get mad, not to yell at anybody, not to move, what, they just stand perfectly still. Or a, a person who's been put on guard, you know, or, or, or is saluting, you know, the, whether it's the president or the generals that come through or whatever. But standing firm and not moving. But it's not just, it's not just standing firm. But it's standing firm under pressure. It's standing, holding steady when the heat is on. It's being able to to take that last shot with only two seconds left in the game and not crumbling under the pressure and being able to go up and take that jump shot and to be able to hit it in order to win. It's that clutch standing at attention in one place, not moving, standing in a battle, refusing to retreat under pressure from enemy fire. Some of you probably have experienced that or you've had friends and relatives who have. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know if you knew this or not, but this is a much repeated theme in the New Testament. Now, when you know, it's, it's, it's enough if, the, if God tells us one time in one place. But over 14 times we are told to stand fast or to hold steady in the New Testament. 14 different times we're instructed to do that. The question is, why? Why, why is Paul, why are these apostles, why are the leaders, why is Jesus, why are they telling us to stand firm? And the answer is always found in God's Word. And as we study it, we find that we all, okay, listen carefully, we all have a tendency at times to retreat. We all have a tendency at times to fall back. We all have a tendency at times on a hard day to quit under pressure from the enemy of our faith. And God knows that. And so God gave us instruction Don't do that, even though it's a tremendous temptation on some days. Maybe not every day. Maybe not often. But some days it's a temptation to say, forget it. I don't need this. If being a Christian puts crosshairs on my back, I don't need this. I've got enough trouble in my life. And we're tempted to walk away from faith. And some people do, sadly. So let me take you to a brand new church plant just north of Jerusalem in a city called Antioch. So we get, our, we get our instruction on how to stand firm, not from my ideas and not from yours, but from God's Word. 
And so the church at Jerusalem hears about this church plant up north of Jerusalem. It's a brand new church. And they hear that there's revival breaking out. And so the Jerusalem church does what? They send Barnabas up north to visit that plant, that church plant that is having tremendous growth. What prompted the Jerusalem church to send somebody to a church that seems to be doing well? Why did they do that? All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 11 and let's begin reading at verse 19 and see if you can catch it. You have to stay with me to the end of the passage and you'll, you'll catch it. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Remember Stephen was stoned to death for his faith? Remember Stephen? Some of you know that story. Stephen was stoned to death for his faith. And the church scattered. Man, it scared everybody. So, man, they stoned, they stoned one of our guys. And they, they just scattered. And they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, that's the city north of Jerusalem, and began speaking to the Greeks also, not just to the Jews, but also to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with those guys. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord at Antioch. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem down south, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Why? The church is having revival. Why did they send somebody from the home office, so to speak, up to the church plant? What was that all about? Then, verse 23, Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to do what? To remain true to the Lord. Don't move. Stand firm. Remain true to the Lord. What was Barnabas worried about? What was the church at Jerusalem worried about? All right. Let's take a look at what Paul told the church in Corinth. It sounds nearly the same as what Barnabas told the folks up in Antioch. If you want to look, I'll put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15. This is a whole different church. This is a whole different deal. And this is what he says. Now, I make known to you, brothers, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved. If you're saved, if you hold fast, hold steady, remain in, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's a concern that they will hold fast. There's not a concern that they didn't receive Jesus. The concern is that they stay with Jesus, that they hold steady, that they remain firm, that they do not move from their faith. Here's another one in Lystra, Lystra, however you want to pronounce it. We're told in Acts chapter 14 that Paul warned the believers. Now, this, look, this is Lakeview believers now. Make this, make this applicable to our church to our faith community. So in Lakeview, we're told in Acts 14 that Paul warned the believers to continue in the faith. That's what I'm doing this morning. I am God's Barnabas this morning, reminding me and you to hold steady. Here we go. Why why would he do this 
in, in, uh, in Acts 14. Why would he have me speak these truths uh, this morning at Lakeview? Acts 14, 19. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and, and, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, and we studied this when we went through Acts, you'll remember the story. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to do what? To continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, through many trials, through many persecutions, through many sacrifices we must enter the kingdom of God but we must continue in the faith. Hold steady. 2 Timothy 3. See, I told you this is a theme that runs through the New Testament. Listen to this one. Verse 10. Now you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed the purpose that I have. The faith, the patience, the love, the perseverance that I showed you by my example. Persecutions that you saw me go through. Sufferings that I endured. Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Remember, they almost killed him. What persecutions I endured. And God, and he says, and out of them all, not some, out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Wow. What, can, can you get, can we get an amen on that? That just doesn't matter what your story is, what my story is. He said, listen, I never got thrown in prison for my faith. And I never got stoned for my faith. And people didn't think I was dead because I got persecuted or whatever. But he says, even of those things, the Lord rescued me. Now, keep going. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, you, Lakeview believers, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in the things that you have learned. Don't move. Continue in the assignment. You know, what a, what a tremendous thing. That, what's that? Three or four different examples already. I won't take any more time to, to give you examples, but I just want to show you from God's Word that God is, is very much concerned that we hold steady, that we stand firm in our faith, and that when hard places come and sufferings come and persecutions come, that there is an ability with God to rescue us to the place where we are able to, to, to continue in the faith that we have. Now, the problem, let me get practical for a moment, if I may. The problem for many of us is that from childhood, some of us don't have the memories of living for God. Can I say that? Some of us do not have memories from childhood 
of serving God. Many of us do. Some of us probably, in the sound of my voice and in the room here today, have good memories of being taught godly things, but at some point in our lives, we didn't take advantage, we didn't stay faithful, and we drifted away from the things that we were taught. And so we don't have good memories on that. We have memories, some of us, of living apart from God, apart from accountability, apart from holy living, which can be... Look, living an unholy life can appear in some expressions to be fun for a season. Let me give you uh, an example without having to be real transparent. It is fun sometimes to overeat. Until we cross that line that says, I'm not feeling so good. My stomach hurts. Mom, I've got a stomach ache. I have been there? But but leading up to overeating was fun for a while. That's how sin can be. That's how we get tempted. We get tempted to eat too much in the food in the in this food illustration. We have memories of living apart from God. We have memories of living without accountability of God, even though He's watching everything. And we have memories of, of not being holy, not, not living any kind of holy life before God. Many of us have stark memories from childhood, in some cases, of, of being like that. And so these kinds of things which Christ died for. Did Jesus die for all the sins of the world? For the people who confess Christ? Amen? Yes? And so these kinds of things which Christ died to forgive us for can if we're not careful, become tools to discourage us, especially when we're encountering what Jesus said we would encounter. And he said, you will encounter, until I come, trouble, tribulation, persecution, all because we've chosen to live for Christ. And that makes us specific targets of the enemy. So Jesus told us, this is what's going to happen if you take me up on the offer to go to heaven and live with me forever. There's going to be some temporary hard places along the way, but it'll be worth it. So, to be very practical about this, I would suggest to us, you think about it, spiritually speaking, unstable people often do not stand firm. Unstable, spiritually unstable people often have a hard time standing firm. They're easily defeated. They're easily crushed by trials. They become overwhelmed beyond their ability to manage, so to speak, by their circumstances sometimes. They're often the very first ones that will yield to temptation because they are not... not, Am I still on? Am I still there? Okay. They're not stable, spiritually speaking. So Paul wants Christians to be resolved... To stand firm. When we studied in the book of James, this is a couple, three verses that we studied. You'll remember it if you were with us. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
Now, that lust doesn't have to necessarily be sexual. It's a lust that wants anything that, is, that, that appears to be more important than God in terms of our focus. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So he's talking to believers. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the church, the true church. Let me say it again now that we understand who he's talking to. He's talking to people like you and me. He's talking to ministerial students at the college. He's talking to board members. He's talking to Sunday school teachers. He's talking to small group leaders. He's talking to ministry staff. He's talking to all of us. He said each one is tempted when he or she is carried away and enticed by our own lust. We all have different lusts. Then when lust has conceived, mm, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, in other words, we do it, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's a great question to ask. What would it take for you to quit the Christian life? What would it take? What would it take? We've been stationed at a post, given orders. What, it, what would it take for you to move away from your post? What would it take? And for every one of us, it's probably something different. What would it take? I hope your answer is nothing. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not moving from my post. But Paul says, and the Word says, train your mind and be careful. Be careful. Look at the picture uh, on the screen here. What would it take? Would, would two years imprisoned away from your home and your family in a country where the Lord only knows what kinds of persecutions this guy went through? And it was just, what, yesterday or the day before? I can't remember where he was finally released. Here he is praying over the president. Uh, what would it take for Pastor Andrew Brunson to walk away from his post of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a prolific pastor and uh, a tremendous Christian leader, uh, he once said this, something to this effect, and I, I'm going to say, quote, I hope I got it right. But listen to what he says, but there's some real depth to it. We tend to be always feeling our own pulses. Hmm. What's my pulse rate today? Let me check my Fitbit here. Let's see here. 94. That's not good. That's because I'm standing up here. Hey, see what yours would be if you were standing up here, like 150. You know, <laughs> it's scary up here sometimes. So he says we we tend to always be feeling our pulses and talking about ourselves and our moods. Forget yourself and your temporary troubles and ills. Forget them for the moment and fight in the army. Unquote. Bite in the army. Forget your little moods. I, you know, I heard about, I heard about someone, uh, two ladies, uh, and it's a true story, uh, came to choir one, one, one night. 
And the one lady walks in and says, well, I'll tell you what, you better watch out because I've had me one rough day. I'm in a bad mood, so everybody watch out. And you know what the other person said? A mature believer said to this person, maybe you should go home and get your mood together and then come back and we'll worship together. Maybe you need to stop worrying about your little pulse. Maybe you need to stop worrying about your little emotions and your little moods and your little feelings and understand that this is what this is the life of the believer that from time to time we are going to find persecution in hard places. And it may come through a physical disease, a discouragement that has happened, a hard place that we hit in the road, whatever. Listen to Ephesians. I'm reading from a New Living Translation. It's a little, it flows a little easier. Listen to what, what the Word says. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly confused. <laughs> My wife will say, I knew you were going to work this in an illustration sometime. But we, 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 were, on, we were on a trip recently, and we were in... Um, Pigeon Forge. And I was look, trying to find my way somewhere. I don't even remember what it was. And I made a kind of a, I was slowing down a little slower than I normally drive, trying to figure out where to go. And uh, probably the guy behind me was saying, would you get going, hurry up, whatever. And then I made a quick lane change because, uh-oh, I think I need to turn left here at the light. And uh, so he pulls up beside me and he gives me the one finger cheer. So I foolishly tried to let him read my lips and say, I'm just trying to figure, I don't, I don't live here. I'm trying to figure out. And I didn't even get that out. And he gave me a double cheer. You, you don't want to know what I was thinking. Uh, it might have gone something like, Honey, let's give him four between the two of us. Let's give him a four, a four cheer. We don't do that. We, <laughs> she absolutely doesn't do that, and I don't do that, and I've never done that. So I want to make that clear. But I, I kind of thought about it a little bit for a second. But the, the truth of the matter is hopelessly confused. Why, why would people behave like that in a civilized culture? To be that base... And that vulgar, and to, to a total stranger. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. <laughs> I, you know, I would have thought, oh, all oh, the guy's not from here. He doesn't know where he's going. I take it back. I'll put the finger back down. no. No, I got double duty. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, Lakeview Church... Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Can I say that again? Let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts 
and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, stop telling lies. That's to the church. Stop, church, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all harsh words. Get rid of all slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Standing firm is won or lost. Standing firm, the ability to stand at the station firm, is won or lost in the mind. It's in the mind. Now, there are a couple of tools, and this isn't this isn't intended to be deep into the weeds, but there are a couple of tools from a practical perspective that Satan uses to keep us from standing firm. You know, you know what they are? Let me help you, let me help you understand what, how this works. The first one is, the first tool that the devil will use to keep you and me from standing firm is our past sins. Our past sins. Sometimes things that nobody in this room or in your family may even know about. But they're past sins. And Satan is really good at recycling our sins. And we end up, we end up sometimes cherishing past sins. And it becomes sin as it gets recycled back through our minds. We get these channels, these these channels, these ruts that our mind goes to. Uh, you, you, okay, here's a rut for me. My mind, my mind runs down this rut. You know, we used to live in a in a, a place that had a gravel driveway, and sometimes the when it rained hard, the rain would go places that it, I didn't want it to go. And so, if it was going to be a hard rain, I'd get out there with my shovel, and I would I would rake a rut in that gravel driveway and take it over to where I wanted that water to go. And sure enough, that water would be coming down that driveway, down the hill, and it would find that rut, and it would follow that rut, and that water would just go right out where I wanted it to go. We have these ruts, these pathways in our brain. I'll prove it to you. 
have you ever thought about serving turnips to me? The answer is, I know why. Because I got a rut. I got a pathway rut. I, I don't want to, I don't want to eat turnips. I, I don't like turnips. I, I don't want to see turnips. Uh, don't try to slip it in my power drink. I, I just, I don't want any turnips. Now, I know some of you probably love them. And that's great. And I'm glad for you. But I don't want turnips. That's a, that's a, that's a rut in my brain. As soon as you say turnips, my, my brain just goes right down that, the water's going right down the hill there. You, you see, you follow what I'm saying? So the, the devil uses that. They become pathways. Sin becomes a rut pathway. For some of us, it was, it was experimenting with drugs. For some of us, it's just getting high on something else. It could be alcohol or whatever. For some of us, it was it was being caught up in in stimulation and sex and all kinds of different isms and 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 issues. They're they're ruts that get developed in our brain, and they never seem to go away. It, it's like it's like uh, I I heard somebody say the other day uh, that uh, a, a wonderful godly woman said that she had smoked for, I don't know, the first 10, 15 years of her of her life after she was a teenager or whatever. And then she got saved and she put all that stuff away, whatever. And she's walking down the, down the, the street with her kids and they're just, lo- these are servants of God. These are leaders in the church. And, and she smelled a cigarette puff out on the sidewalk and she goes, oh, that's one of the best smells on earth. And, you know, most of us will be going, uh, you know, but to her, that was a pathway. It was a pathway. It was real easy to follow that rut. That water just poured down through there. Now, here's another tool the devil uses. Not just the ruts and the pathways of sin that he will recycle through our minds from time to time. Why? To get us off of guard duty. To get us off of our position. Out of our assignment. The invention of sin for the future. Do you know that you and I are capable of, of, of setting up ahead of time sin? That we can think up a scenario where we are able to follow one of those ruts. We haven't done it yet, but we've thought about it. And it might even be something that brings us temporary pleasure from time to time. Maybe it's like getting mad at the guy that gave me the double fingers and going over and punching his glass out and then jerking him through the window and saying, you just see what I'm saying? So there's a pathway. And, and, and if we're not careful, we can invent those things based on the, the yearnings and the cravings that we have established over the course of our life, especially if it's young. You know, that's why the psalmist said in, in Psalm 36, listen to this. He plans wickedness in his bed. That means that you and I on a hard day, on a bad day, can be laying in our bed, minding our own business, and be constructing something that we haven't done yet, but that we know God does not want us to do. And I think the apostle would say, and that's sin. That is sin. That's why Jesus said, oh, no, you didn't lay with that person, but you thought about it, and that was as sinful as if you did that. Hello? I think I'm preaching better than that. I, I think that's truth. Honest. That is truth from God's word. So standing firm means winning in the mind. 
We may not be able to forget everything in our minds. Guess what? We're supposed to forgive everything, but we can't always forget everything. Amen? Sometimes stuff comes back in our memories. So we may not be able to forget everything in our minds, but God can help us to hold steady while we're learning the mental disciplines of faithfulness and accountability. And so King David had ruts. He had a rut for looking at beautiful women that were not that he should not have been looking at and lusting for. He had a rut probably for a long time in his life that was self-centered and said says life should revolve around what I like and what I what I don't want. And I am so self-centered that I'm willing to have this other guy who has his wife killed in battle so that I can have what doesn't belong to me. That's how self-centered. You talk about ruts. Ruts. Now, this same man, when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, everybody listen carefully. I'm probably trying. They're taking so many notes, they can't. They don't even know where to write them. That's great. I love it. Listen to what, listen to what this psalmist, who had all these mental pathway ruts to deal with, habits and patterns that were, you know, I hate turnips. I don't want to, don't talk to me about turnips. And this is what he said in Psalm 51.10. Listen to this. This will, this will bless your heart. Create in me a clean heart. This is the guy with ruts, bad ruts. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. I, 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 sometimes I'm not willing to stay at my post, but put a willing spirit in me that I, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't care how hard it is. I, I, I have a willing spirit to not move over and leave, leave my post. Then, he said, then if you'll help me with that kind of a mind, renew my mind, clean me up, uh, 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 kick, kick some of the gravel into that rut and, so it's not a rut anymore and, and, and create some new pathways some new ways that I, I am to live he said when, when that begins to happen he said sinners will get converted <laughs> they're going to they're see a new me they're, they're going to see a guy that had all kinds of ugly pathways and, and, and it's going to make a difference and people are going to get saved God can give us new pathways in the brain. We need to spend less time traveling the old pathways that contain images that pull us down and be open to new pathways that strengthen our resolve to stay in the battle, to stay in the fight. Years ago, as a young boy, um, I was too young to drive. But I witnessed my grandparents uh, taking us to Gatlinburg when we would visit my grandparents in in, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we could get to Gatlinburg in about 20 minutes from my grandmother's house if we went through the gap. Now, my pen uh, to draw has a new battery. So I don't know if this will come up on the screen or not, but let's put the map. Can you put the map up there? That's my wonderful drawing. Don't you just love it? I do it one time, and the first time is the one you get, because I don't spend a whole lot of time making it pretty. 
But over here, uh, over here, uh, on the far right, see the GB? That's Gatlinburg. Over here, up top, there's a G. That's Grandma's house. Yeah, thank you. Down here to the left, JB, that's Johnson Bible College. It's now Johnson University. And the, the gap road there, kind of run the red line there, the gap road there goes through the, don't you love the mountains? And it goes over to the highway. You go down and, and uh, right, if you'll put the little red dot to the, just to the right of the S on mountains, just to the right, right there, okay. That right there is Sevierville. And then Pigeon Forge. And then Gatlinburg. It's the gap road that I had to get on. And so Grandma and Grandpa used to take us through the gap, through the mountains, and saved all kinds of time from having to go down the highway and go the long way to get to Gatlinburg. Now, the fact of the matter is, um, I was little when we traveled that way. Many years later, as my wife and I went to see Grandma's homestead, she's gone now, I thought I would not go the regular highway, I said, because I know a shortcut, and it's called Through the Gap. And I said, it'll get us there in about 20 minutes. I hadn't traveled that road for a long time, but guess what? I still found Still on? Testing? Testing? There we go. Am I still on? There we go. I was still, I was able to navigate the gap, and we were able to get to Gatlinburg in about 20 minutes. Now... I drew you that little map and got a little personal for a second because sometimes God opens up new pathways of thinking for us that don't rehearse the old sin in our lives that the devil uses to beat us down. Sometimes God gives us new pathways. That's why God, David said, create in me a clean heart, a new, new pathways. And so we need to release those old pathways and not retrace those old things because just like going through the gap, I could still travel it if I wanted to. You see, I found out that I hadn't forgotten the gap road. After all these years, I was still able to navigate the gap road. Why? Because there was a rut put in my brain. Enough little signposts that I was able to travel that. And in this particular illustration, you don't want to go the gap road. I don't want to travel those old, rutted out, sinful, uh, giving, yielding to temptation, not living the holy life, and allowing the enemy to recycle all of my sin and, and, and drag me through the same ruddy places all of the time. He wants us to stay off the gap trap and walk in the map track that he's outlined for us. That's what he wants. And it all starts with what we do with our minds. So if we're not careful, we can lay in our beds late at night and we can recycle the sins of the past that can tempt us to leave our post of duty. And that's why I believe this theme of standing firm and steadfast is repeated so many times in so many places in the New Testament. The message line this morning, as I close, is this. Stand firm in your faith by reading the Word of God and filling our minds with the map tracks that God is establishing for this little...
short journey in time to heaven. That's what God wants. So church, stand firm. Found among his papers in Zimbabwe, after he was martyred for his Christian faith, somebody who stayed at his post, did not move over. Here's the moving story some of you have become familiar with, and I close with this, of a Christian martyr. That means, that means he died because of his faith. And I quote, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back. Let up. Slow down. Back away. Or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first, or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by his patience, lift by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be narrow, my way rough, My companions few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he will have no problems recognizing me, my colors, will be clear. Praise God. Amen? Let's stand. That's for your encouragement. Stand firm in the faith. And don't be cowled by the temptations that the devil brings. Watch out for the ruts that for some of us have come from childhood. Watch out for those ruts. And so, uh, Jessica, as you're working with our teens, help them to understand That if they let certain ruts come into their lives early, that those are things that the devil will use against you. Oh, he will recycle that over and over and over and over in your mind to discourage you. So it's better if you don't put it in there. It's better if you don't dig that kind of rut. 
How many of us who are over the age of 50 would say, I wished I'd have heard that when I was 14 or 16 or 18. I wished I'd have known these things and I could have saved a lot of trouble of ruts, pathways that got in my mind and my spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there may be some folks here that are inquisitive about faith in you. I've been speaking primarily to the church, to the true church, to saved people. Uh, so that we will be strong and we will not be moved from our post of responsibility and we will not be prey to the devil uh, who would like to take us down by reminding us uh, how fragile we are without the Holy Spirit. And so forgive us when we have let our guard down at times. Restore us. Create a clean heart in us. Renew our minds. Uh, create new pathways, map tracks that you have designed for us that will help us to hold steady at the wheel. And when we have failed, and maybe somebody here this morning, Lord, is discouraged and been down, and the devil has done nothing but remind them of all of their failures and disappointments. Help them to be renewed today through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the ability that brings to confess our sins and to cry out for help. Lord, help people to be saved by calling upon your name. If there's somebody out there today listening, may they just call out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I want and need a different life. Jesus, I need your help. Holy Spirit, come into my life. I put my faith in Jesus today. I don't care what anybody says. And I'm going to give Jesus a chance in my life. And I want to do that today. Please come into my heart and save me. And Father... For those of us who have scarred pathways, maybe we need somebody to spend some time with, somebody to talk to a little bit to help us sort out what some of those pathways might be, but help us to never lose hope in what you can do in creating new pathways for us, spiritual pathways that will help us to stay strong and faithful for you. Lord, continue to bless and help this church be all that you designed her to be in Christ Jesus is my prayer. Amen.